Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. I want to uh, start the talk tonight by sharing something that a friend sent to me, a postcard. <clears throat> and uh, with the caveat to just watch the wanting mind as you, as you hear it. <clears throat> Free demo cassette and special report. Meditate like a Zen monk at the push of a button. <laughs> Remarkable technology transports you effortlessly and safely into the brainwave states of deep meditation, relaxing stress relief, profound emotional healing, high-performance mental abilities, increased self-awareness, guaranteed. (laughs) And then a testimony. It's fantastic. You can really feel yourself improving, evolving, getting calmer, more aware, everything it claims to be. Erwin Eberhard, Warwick, Australia. (laughs) Experience deep Zen-like meditation. Makes meditation easy, accelerates results. Permanently heals dysfunctional feelings and behaviors. (laughs) Even those which have stubbornly resisted other approaches. Sounds good, doesn't it? The wanting mind. Ooh, boy. What am I doing sitting here for a month or two months? Maybe. For most of us, um, the path isn't quite that simple or easy. Most of us, um, it requires a tremendous amount of patience and an understanding of how transformation happens. This is not an overnight process because we have habits of mind that we've practiced over and over, countless times, countless lifetimes, if you can relate to that. And they become where our mind naturally or typically inclines to unless there is a tremendous commitment to change the default setting, so to speak. I like to think of it that way. This is the Buddha. He says, Whatever the practitioner frequently thinks and ponders upon, that will become the inclination of their mind. Whatever the practitioner frequently thinks and ponders upon, that will become the inclination of their mind. Makes sense, doesn't it? It's so clear and obvious when I hear that line, and yet so profound, that given our natural, habitual ways, we often incline towards attachment, aversion, confusion, 
Maybe from time to time there's moments of clarity or and certainly moments of loving kindness and caring, but so many other moments that need to be understood and seen through and not identified with. And this understanding of inclining the mind, I find is a a, a very uh, potent attitude in practice. Inclining the mind as we're doing here, towards freedom, towards awakening. The aspect of the Eightfold Path that the Buddha talked about specifically as inclining the mind towards freedom is the second link of the Eightfold Path, wise intention. And that's what I'd like to talk about tonight. Besides it being the second aspect of the Eightfold Path, how important that is, as we understand it well, it fuels our effort in practice. When we are clear and in touch with our intention, it guards against doubts and confusion because we know what direction we're facing in. And as well, and as important as anything surrounding intention, it is the basis of all karma. The more we understand intention, the more we see how we are affecting the reality that we are, we are living in and what we are creating in the future. There's two levels of intention that um, I'll speak about. One level is the moment-to-moment level of intention, which was offered as part of the instructions um, in the last day or two, that when you notice your intention before an action, it connects the, the impulse, the mind, the thought to do something with the action, with the activity. And until we notice that intention, generally we're acting on automatic pilot. And so you find yourself all of a sudden... Um, going to the bathroom and not realizing how you got there, or having a second cup of tea and not realizing what went on there. But as you notice the intention, it's a very subtle but profound aspect of of practice. It gives you some choice. So there's that moment-to-moment and the deeper level of, uh, or, or the other level, I wouldn't, shouldn't say deeper, but a, a broader level of aspiration that uh, we'll also talk about. First, this moment-to-moment intention. We have looked at the, uh, the feeling tone, Vedana. Sally gave the talk on Vedana, and, uh, and we're working with it as part of the practice of every moment there being a flavor of experience, pleasantness, unpleasantness, and neutrality. That is 
a common factor. It's here in every single moment. And as well, in every single moment, is this mental factor of intention or volition, as it's called in, in this, this level. And if we can understand the intention or volition that comes from responding to our present situation, we have a choice to create happiness or suffering. The Buddha says in one discourse, he says, I tend, intending, I tell you, is karma. Intending, one creates karma by body, speech, and mind. In the moment that we are responding to a pleasant experience, if there's not mindfulness, generally we respond with grasping. If there is mindfulness, we have a choice to respond without grasping, non-grasping. In the moment that there is an unpleasant experience, we generally respond with aversion. When mindfulness is present, we have the option of being with an unpleasant experience without the aversion, but just noticing, oh, unpleasant, unpleasant, without that extra contraction. And when there's a neutral experience, often we respond by just not noticing, not spacing out, delusion. Or we can respond as well with taking ownership of any experience, which is another way to uh, describe delusion, identifying with our experience. When we are mindful, we don't space out on the neutral, and we also don't take ownership of our experiences being mine or me, mine. And that is a moment of non-delusion or clarity. And the difference between those is the difference of creating suffering or happiness because the roots of all suffering come from greed, hatred, and delusion, or grasping, aversion, ignorance, same thing. The roots of all happiness come from non-grasping, non-greed, non-hatred, and non-delusion. So you have a choice there in each moment in a very direct level what karma you are creating. And the seeds that are planted in each moment are very potent and they, they are experienced in a variety of ways. In the moment, if we respond with greed, hatred, and delusion, it's unpleasant. If we respond in that moment, the chances of a similar response in the future are more likely since they're reinforced. As an example, I'll just give you an example to, to go through this with me. Suppose, think of something that, um, that you might have done that's not been so skillful, okay? somewhere in your distant past. Okay? <laughs> Suppose you responded with anger or whatever it was. You take your pick. In the moment, <coughs> that you were caught in that 
anger. How did it feel? Didn't feel so good, probably. Maybe for a moment it felt good, but probably short, shortly after, it's unpleasant. It's quite agitating. The likelihood of that response coming in the future is greater because you've just planted that seed and practiced it. The energy that comes back to you from whoever it was that you interacted often comes back in kind. Usually people don't thank you for that kind of response. Oh, great, lay it on me again. But it's more like, hey, what do you mean? Because that's how karma works, cause and effect. And when you just thought of what it was that was unskillful, there might have been a little wincing inside. Ooh, yeah, I did that. When you reflect on past actions, you also reap the karma of having an unpleasant memory, right? Just from one action. The good news is it works the opposite for or it works the same for the opposite reaction. Think of something really skillful that you've done, really wholesome in the last few days or somewhere in your life, particularly interacting with, with somebody else. Got something? While you were in the middle of that activity or those words, How did it feel? Probably felt pretty good. Hmm. Because you're aligned with what what feels right. The likelihood of that response in the future is greater because you've planted that seed and reinforced that response. The energy that comes back to you from that other person is probably very wholesome and loving and appreciative. And when you just remembered or when you reflect on something wholesome that you've done, how does it feel? It feels pretty good. So every moment, our actions are planting seeds, very potent seeds that bear fruit immediately and in the future. When we do the loving-kindness practice, here in in the evenings or whenever you're doing it, every single time you are saying the phrase, whether or not you feel loving or kind or whatever is going on, if you have that intention to cultivate a kind heart, a heart that is spacious and friendly, that is a very potent seed that you're planting that bears fruit. That's just how it works. There's a Tibetan saying, everything rests on the tip of one's motivation. Everything. It is the lead of our life unfolding. So you can see how powerful and profound it is as you're practicing here to notice intentions, notice Often they're neutral, like, say, intending to reach for the door. That's fine to just be there with it. In the moment that you're clear, you're planting the seed of clarity. But when there's an intention that has a valence of responding 
potentially with either grasping, aversion, or non-grasping and kindness, it's very potent. And starting to notice it um, illuminates the, the possibilities. So that's the first level, the moment-to-moment intention. And for the rest of the talk, I want to focus on the broader intention of aspiration. As I, um, as I said, this is the second link of the Eightfold Path, and if you look at the Eightfold Path in a linear fashion, then it's natural that from wise understanding, the next link is wise intention. Because when you understand just how you are creating happiness or suffering in every moment, or when you understand the possibility of awakening, suppose you've read something that inspired you, or been around somebody who somehow has, um, is a shining example that, that moves you. When you see that possibility, then the next logical step is being so inspired that we want to create that for ourselves. And from that aspiration, from that vision, we express the other aspects of the Eightfold Path. Our speech, our action, our livelihood are done with that vision in mind. And the mental training effort, mindfulness, and concentration also come out of that wise intention what we want to create in our lives. We can be motivated by reading something or seeing, seeing somebody. The motivation gets us to act, but the intention there's a, for me, there's a, a subtle difference between motivation and intention in that we are motivated, we're inspired, but intention, there's a decision to make it happen. Not just a, oh, it would be nice, it would be really wonderful if somehow I could practice more wisdom in my life. It's more than I wish or I'd like to. The, the power of the decision has a, an emotional connection. It's not just a, a cerebral, rational, oh yes, this would, be, this would be a good thing. There's that skillful desire that says, I want to create this. That is a want. There's no... No two ways about it. But that kind of desire is a very healthy desire. There's desires that lead to more desires or more suffering, and then there's desires that lead to the end of suffering. And so when we are moved, when we are somehow um, touched by that possibility that says, I want to do this. Sometimes you don't even have a choice 
It's just moving through you. You might have found yourself signing up for this retreat and saying, what am I doing? Why am I... Are you sure you want to do this? But there's something that you couldn't even maybe explain or deny that said, I just need to do this. That's a very um, profound desire that it's important to acknowledge and respect and honor because that intention is coming from a much deeper place than, oh yeah, this will be good for me. So to allow that kind of wholehearted commitment coming from an emotional place, it just gives rise to very wholesome action. The interesting thing about intention is a paradox that we put our whole heart into our vision but as you've probably seen over and over and over, you can't get attached to the results. So intention is not just about having an idea, a goal, oh yes, if I sit for a month, if I sit for two months, I'm going to get really peaceful and calm. Ha ha. Okay. Well, you probably have moments of real peace and calm, but they don't usually come on your own timetable. And so you have to completely let go of your idea of what's supposed to happen and know that as you're planting those those seeds of sincerity that you need to trust and have patience that every single moment of mindfulness is moving you more and more in that direction of awakening or opening you, another way of saying it, opening you to awakening in this moment. It's a kind of delicate balance to have a wholehearted intention and vision of waking up and yet allowing everything else that gets in the way of the waking up to be here and trust that it's part of the process, including your bouts of sleepiness or confusion or fear or chaos or pettiness or judgment. and All of that is an integral part of the process of waking up. So you just plant the seed and then see what unfolds knowing that your commitment, your continued commitment to waking up is the key ingredient that you bring to the process. Drop by drop, you know that image the Buddha has, drop by drop, as he gives the example of a, of a bucket under a dripping water, Each drop doesn't look like very much, but drop by drop by drop, the bucket gets filled. And in the same way, drop by drop by drop, every single moment of mindfulness, you are cultivating non-greed, non-hatred, and non-delusion. Very purifying qualities. 
<clears throat> Thomas Edison was um, was asked uh, about his the process of inventing a light bulb. It turns out that there were over two thousand attempts that he made to invent the electric light. And this uh, this guy interviewing him once uh, once said to him. Uh, Mr. Edison, how did it feel to fail so many times? And Edison looked at him and he said, Sir, I did not fail. I invented the light bulb. It was a 2,000 step process. (laughs) That's seeing the bigger picture and not getting caught in the immediate results. So, how you deal with your unmet expectations is a key to allowing the process to continually unfold. Not giving yourself a grade, not trying to figure out where you are. It's impossible while you're in the middle of this process to figure out where you are. That's why it's helpful to go to interviews. When I'm on retreat, unless it's a self-retreat, I go to interviews because I just need a little reality check. Hey, planet Earth here, you know, what's, what's going on, really? Not, where am I? But, okay, this is what's happening right now. And sometimes it can be helpful to just hear in that interchange, hear yourself talk, and you're not just ruminating in your own interpretations about what's going on. And then you can let go of figuring out the process. That's one of the the great reliefs of going to interviews. You don't have to figure it out. These guys, okay, they haven't they haven't told me to leave yet. They don't. They, the guy sitting there with a smile on his face. Okay, fine. It must be okay. And generally, it's all okay because it's only what's happening. If what's happening isn't okay that's when there's a problem. But if what's happening is okay, there's no problem, right? So you can let go of worrying and just see, okay, what's happening in this moment? Can I let it be how it is? And bring a kind awareness to it. Okay, and now this moment, what's happening? And now this one, and now this one. Not Why is this happening? Be careful of the word why. It is a setup for suffering. If you try to figure out and interpret, it just leads to more confusion. Just what's happening? Can I meet it with a kind awareness? Our intention, I think, has its roots in belief in the possibility. The Buddha says, we are what we think. With our thoughts, we make the world. And I came across this quote. I think it was Mark Twain. I'm not positive, but it it makes sense to me. He says, if you think something is impossible, you will make it impossible. And so we have to, while we are having our wholehearted intention to wake up, we have to see the subtle beliefs that we have about 
who we are or what our limits are or how things are supposed to be that get in the way. And so you might just notice any kind of limiting beliefs that you have about what this experience is or who you are and not believe them or see that you believe them. Oh, believing that thought. Oh yeah, this happened to me when I was this old and so I'll never be able to whatever your story is. I came across, I remember one, uh, on one retreat a number of years ago, this, um, this yogi who has uh, since become a very dedicated practitioner many years. And she was one of her early retreats and she said, you know, I've, I've never really experienced love. I've never been loved, and that's why love, loving is so hard for me. This is one of the most loving and caring people I know. <clears throat> but that's often how it works, isn't it? You know, everybody can see but, but us. I didn't know her so well at the time, but, and I said, really, you, you never were loved, and she talked about how difficult her life was at home with her parents and, uh, and, and uh, relatives and friends. And, and I said, okay, I, if you never were loved, then I, you know, I really respect and honor that, and that's something to, you know, to just acknowledge. But let me j- just ask you, was there ever a moment that you felt love from somebody. And I said, we'll just sit here for a little while together. And she started thinking, at first she said, no, 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 you know, just, I never received love. And then she, it dawned on her that her brother was actually quite loving to her. And it was like this light bulb that went on in her mind. She said, oh, well, there was my brother and, and she said, well, he was such a great companion. I was companioned by my, my brother. That's what she first said. And she said, no, I was, he loved me. And it was, as she got in touch with that, she had to change her idea about who she was because she'd been holding on to that story that she'd not been loved and therefore was not capable of loving Take a look at any kind of belief that you have that might stop that possibility of the wider intention, the deeper intention to awaken. It's not so. It's just a belief. We can have a a noble intention to act and then also see some other less noble intentions that get caught up in there. I want to talk a moment about mixed intentions. You know, you can say, I want to be present. I want to be wise. I want to come from as clean a place as possible. And it'll be really cool if people see what a wise person I am. You know? <laughs> Just 
kind of slipping in there. And if you see that and then you go, oh, God, who am I kidding? This is all ego anyway. When you notice those unwholesome intentions, so-called unwholesome intentions, and you focus on them, they negate everything else just because you believe that as the real source of your actions. And this is not doing yourself any service at all. Yes, I... I want to take, I really want to take a break. It's, I've just been so tight that, you know, I just need some space. But maybe I'm just really lazy. You know, I am a kind of a lazy person. <laughs> There's no winning in that state of mind, right? So if you're waiting for a 100% pure intention, coming from the Buddha within, where there's no selfing at all, you might be waiting for a long time. So just to let go of that highest ideal that there'll never be any kind of selfing, in fact, when you see that selfing, you, you might try rejoicing in the fact that you notice that subtle level of mind. Because in the noticing, if you're not judging it or taking ownership of it, then it's simply another moment of clarity and wisdom. It's just when you believe it and say, oh no, you know, who was I kidding, that um, you disconnect from that wholesome intention. And so what I find is rather than expecting 100% 100% purity or 99 and 44 100th percent ivory snow purity that there are mixed intentions knowing that there's mixed intentions if you stay connected to the ones that really inspire you and let your actions come from that place the other ones will take care of themselves You don't have to feed them with energy by saying, oh no, get away. Who was I kidding? I'm really just an egomaniac when it comes down to it. Forget about that and just notice, oh, okay, I'm not an arhat yet and I have some very, very noble intentions and let yourself feel the wholesomeness of that. Delight in that. If you are serious about waking up, this is very challenging work because of the lifetimes of of habits. And so you have to get in touch with how much the intention is there to change. Because sometimes you might have an idea that it would be nice to change, but you don't have that full-on connection that says, yes, I'm committed to change. A number of years ago, many years ago, I was sitting a a retreat down in Yucca Valley, and uh, the um, 
the retreat in those days, there was a movement session led each, uh, each day by somebody from the Lomi school. And at the end of one of the, um, the sessions, there were a few people who had some questions about, uh, about their own personal bodily stuff. And I had a question, so I stayed around and uh, waited for my turn to ask, ask the, uh, the instructor. And uh, there was this one person who had a, a condition that she wanted to have some tips on. And she said, well, I really, this is a, a big problem in my life and I need some advice on how I can work with it. And um, the instructor listened and he said, well, uh, you might do this. And he offered some suggestions, some exercise. And she said, oh, no, 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 I, I can't do that. Because um, then this, I'd have this problem. There's this other problem that, that would exacerbate. And he's, he thought for a moment and he said, oh, okay, all right. Well, here's another alternative, completely different approach. And she said, oh, no, 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 I can't do that. You know? Because then this problem, I know this, it would just hurt me over here. And then he offered one more suggestion. He said, well, here's a third alternative. And she once again parried saying, oh, no, 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 you know, I can't do that. You know? And then he looked at her and he said, I think your intention to stay the same is greater than your intention to change. <laughs> and then he said, when your intention to change is greater than your intention to stay the same, you'll change. Until then, you'll stay the same. It stopped her in her tracks, and the, the truth of it was felt by everybody around there. And it was a, a very powerful lesson for me. If your intention to stay the same because of fear, because you're not ready, because of whatever reason, that's okay. Just be clear that your intention to, to change is not quite there yet. Much better to be clear about that and not be scratching your head saying, why, if I, why do I feel stuck if only, but being just a little bit hesitant to move through. Okay. When you get in touch with that sincere motivation to change, there's a power that comes from it. Okay. I'll read that. This is from the Scottish Himalayan Expedition by W. H. Murray. Probably many of you have heard it. It's such a beautiful quote. Until one is committed, there is hesitancy, the chance to draw back, always ineffectiveness, concerning all acts of initiative and creation. There is one elementary truth, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans. That is that the moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves too. All sorts of things occur to help one that would never otherwise have occurred. A whole stream of events issues from the decision, raising in one's favor all manner of unforeseen incidents, meetings, and material assistance 
which no person could have dreamt would have come their way. I've learned a deep respect for one of Goethe's couplets. Whatever you can do or dream you can, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. When we get in touch with that intention, there is a kind of empowerment and also a protection that comes. You've probably heard me, uh, if you've been on retreats before, one lesson from the Dalai Lama that I, that I carry with me as my, uh, uh, an inspiration for practice. When uh, he was he was at this he was uh, teaching this conference that I was at, and somebody asked him, "How do you deal with all the suffering that you see?" And he said, "My sincere motivation. This is my protection." And then the next day, somebody asked, "What do you do about all the fear?" And he said, "Sometimes even he can get afraid." And he says, "My sincere motivation is my protection." That is your protection. Whatever happens, getting in touch with your own sincerity of heart is what the Dharma responds to, is what gives you courage to know that you have the capacity to face this next moment. And as well as a protection, it gives you an inspiring vision that informs your life, what's called in the teachings, clear comprehension of purpose, when you get in touch with that vision of what you want to create. Um, On that same conference, which was in India, um, I was was traveling through through Europe to, uh, to India, to the conference, and my plane... Um, stopped in Frankfurt, Germany. And when I told my friend, Miss Wilson, over here, that my plane was stopping in Frankfurt, you said, oh, you should see Mother Mira. Remember saying that? (laughs) She doesn't remember it. It was a key moment in my life that she doesn't remember. (laughs) She said, oh, you should see Mother Mira. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. She said, no, you really should see Mother Mira. And then another friend also said, oh, yeah, you should really see Mother Mira. And then, then I, I heard, oh, and she can, she can grant you uh, boons, and, you know, fulfilling your wishes. And I said, okay, I'll see her. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I arranged my, my flight to, uh, to stop for a couple of days in Frankfurt, and I arranged to, to see Mother Mira. It was this you know, holy woman, uh, Indian woman who lives in, uh, in Frankfurt, and then went to Darshan. And uh, what you do is you go up to, uh, everybody goes into to the room together, you know, maybe 150 people or so, um, and has Darshan with Mother Mira, and you go up one by one, uh, and you sit in front of her, and you, uh, you look into you know, first you put your head down I think, and, and she touches your head and does some kind of very sacred massage over there you know? 
And, uh, and then you look up and you look into each other's eyes, you know, and kind of getting beamed, you know, from, through, from eternity, you know, right through you. And then she, you know, closes her eyes and like, that's it. And then you go. It's about 45 seconds. I kind of checked out the scene, right? And you, there's an on-deck circle, right? So when you're ready, you go up and then, then there's somebody else who goes up, right? So... <laughs> I hope I'm being respectful enough. But, uh, you know, there, there I was sitting in, uh, uh, in this room and kept on thinking, oh, she can grant me whatever I want. Okay. Hmm. What do I really want? And then I, I decided, I didn't want to go up right away because you know, I want to blow my, my wish on something that didn't quite do it, so I you know, took my time and just was waiting and you know, getting clear and saw one by one, you know, and kept on thinking, what do I really want? What's really important to me? I thought, okay, hmm, no, I don't want another thing. You know, they never seem to quite do it. Okay, what do I really want? Well, I don't want a, another delicious experience. What do I really want? And I kept on going deeper and deeper and deeper until I just connected with what really matters to me. And then I was ready to go up and sit in front of her and look into each other's eyes and staying focused on what really mattered to me from the, the depths of my heart. I don't know how it works, but I do know that getting that clear with what mattered to me has been um, a guiding principle for the last 10 years. And what I got in touch with in that moment, I say before I give a talk, I say before I'm working with somebody, I just keep on reminding myself what really matters. And just in that inclining the mind, getting in touch with that heartfelt aspiration and vision gives it life, gives it energy, touches the heart again and again. Now I ask you, if you were in that situation, suppose you were in front of a holy person who could grant you what you really want. Or suppose if you want to go on to the level of just being in front of a a magical genie or a deva and they could grant you what you really want. What would you wish for? Just take a moment. Just do this right now. Take a moment and imagine yourself in front of somebody like that who could grant you your heart's desire.
what really matters to you. And if you have some vision, make a picture out of it. Just see what that would be like to manifest that. Just through your own sincerity and commitment. And if that seems like something that does inspire you, see if you can get in touch with the intention to make that happen. The decision to do what needs to happen to manifest it. This is wise aspiration. We can inspire ourselves by that place of purity and sincerity. Mm. This is uh, Nisargadat Maharaj from I Am That. He says, your sincerity will guide you. Devotion to the goal of freedom and perfection will make you abandon all theories and systems and live by wisdom, intelligence, and active love. Whatever name you give it, will or steady purpose or one-pointedness of the mind, you come back to earnestness, sincerity, honesty. When you are this earnest, you bend every incident every second of your life to your purpose. And this is from uh, Punjaji, who's uh, a great inspiration to me and uh, a number of, of us. He says, the desire for freedom is always there, burning It's the most intense desire. All other desires are on the surface. They rise and fall, you see. The desire for freedom is intense and you must respond to it when you hear it. When you respond, this desire will bring you back home. It will continue to trouble you if it is not fulfilled. This desire must be fulfilled whether you like it or not. All it takes is getting in touch with that heartfelt desire. And when you set your course in that direction, anything is possible. Transformation is possible. Even when we think that we've been dealt whatever story, whatever deck of cards we have, having the intention to change 
is miraculous. I want to read to you uh, one one story from this book that people who know me uh, uh, know that I, I I love called How We Choose to Be Happy, and it's uh, it's the nine choices of extremely happy people. These guys who uh, who've become good friends. They interviewed about three hundred very happy people over a three-year period. And they'd go into a town and they'd say, uh, who's the happiest person in town? Right? And a diner in rural Alabama. And people would say, oh, Shirley, she's, she's the happiest person. And then they'd go to, to Shirley and speak to her and say, you happy? Yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy. And then they'd ask if they could meet some other people in other walks of her life who might know another side of her. And if everybody said, yep, she's, she knows something, then they'd give an in-depth interview and, and uh, find out what her secret of happiness is. And they did this for three years and came and distilled nine common qualities of extremely happy people. The first quality is the intention to be happy. Which not everybody has. We have an intention to be loved, to be accepted, to be successful, but the intention to be happy uh, is, is not, so, not so obvious. And they also saw it had nothing to do with how, uh, how rich you are or how, um, you know, what kind of upbringing you, you had. In fact, many of these people knew tremendous suffering and somehow made the choice for happiness. I'll just read this one, uh, one anecdote. <clears throat> As one of our first interviewees, Adele showed us early on that happy people don't necessarily live charmed lives. In 1991, she experienced an unusually tragic set of losses. Her life unraveled as the losses began to pile up. This is her talking. In one horrible 24-month period, my life evaporated. I lost everything. My house burned down to the ground. This is the Oakland fire. Leaving me with nothing. No clothes, photos, furniture. No material reminder of my previous life. During that time, both of my parents died unexpectedly. My husband left me for a younger woman at the same time that my restaurant went bankrupt. My best friend moved to Seattle. Even the dog died. (laughs) Amazing. Everything in her life disappeared, and Adele had to make the decision how to go on. Having lost everything, she had many intentions to establish, and she explored the most fundamental of them, would she live or die? And this is her talking. I had nothing. I was so filled with grief, I thought maybe God was somehow preparing me to die. Everything was gone. Maybe this was some monumental lesson in letting go, and that I should let my life go too. But as my initial shock began to clear, a feeling that I wanted to live outweighed all of my thoughts about death. I began to see there was hope among the ashes, There was one big opportunity. I had a clean slate. As long as I had to start over and create a whole new life, I was going to create a happy one. I wanted to feel whole. I was sure that I wanted to embrace everything in life, the good and the bad. 
I wanted a feeling of contentment and to feel rested and gentle. I wanted to feel unafraid, to feel I could handle anything that came my way. And I wanted to feel this way for the rest of my life. In spite of my grief, I could see that this all added up to happiness for a lifetime. And it goes on to say how she needed to process her grief for some time. But she was determined with that vision that she was going for happiness. It took her a while and a lot of support. And she is one of these amazingly inspiring people who being around, and I I know um, Rick and and Greg, the people who wrote the book, they say she just lights up a room. So it's not just about what you've been dealt with, it's about your decision to create what inspires you. One of the most profound intentions that I'm sure many of us have uh, often said during the course of our days is to practice not only for ourselves, but realize that as we purify our own hearts and minds, it is an offering, a gift to all beings everywhere. This is a very high level of intention Bodhicitta, the seed of awakening, seeing that you offer your practice to all. And that gives a great meaning, a a more profound meaning to just lifting your foot, placing it, feeling your breath. Oh well, not much is happening. When you realize you are doing this to add a little bit more kindness and wisdom in the world, to add a little bit more love and clarity and compassion. What a tremendous gift and what an inspiration to practice. This is Nyoshal Kempo, who is a great Tibetan teacher. He says, We are not practicing for ourselves alone since everybody is involved and included in the great scope of our prayers and meditations with this perfectly pure motivation, this innate bodhicitta. We talk about vast and profound teachings of Dharma, such as Dzogchen, but without this goodness of heart, this unselfishness, it is mere chatter, gossip, and rationalization. The very heart essence of Buddha Dharma is to benefit others. Bodhicitta. Whatever else we might do is secondary to that. If we cultivate this good heart, this altruistic, unselfish attitude, then all strife and struggle will naturally be pacified, purified, transformed, and even become beneficial to others through contact with that good heart which we, the bodhisattvas, strive to embody. Whatever it is that inspires you, whether it's that bodhisattva ideal or to be free of suffering, to know the deepest wisdom possible, to express your love well, this is your aspiration and inspiring intention. Honor it, respect it, 
keep it connected to your practice and know that every single moment that you are mindful, you are planting seeds through that sincere intention of non-grasping or generosity, non-aversion or kindness, non-delusion, clarity. Just knowing that you're facing in the right direction and being mindful in this moment is all you need to do. So, let's sit for a moment. This talk was given by James Barris at Spirit Rock Meditation Center on February 15, 2004. It is an offering of the... Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.